0: Welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And today we have Luke McDermott. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. You're in Utah and I'm in Dallas. And it's awesome with this Zooming. We can just Zoom all over the world, hanging out and talking. You are an avid runner and proud father of four. And you're thriving after divorce. And I have so much in common with you. It's truly an honor to have you on the podcast. You enjoy sharing your life experiences so that others can have the courage to take the steps to finding true happiness in their lives. You also have a podcast called Inspiring Naked Souls. Yes. And uh, I've listened to the introduction and your last podcast. And I actually have a couple of questions about that later on in the podcast interview. So it'll be fun Sweet. to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you share your experiences having helped people to Give them permission where they're looking to make a positive change in their lives. So that's all this podcast is about—to bring hope to people that are struggling in divorce. And there's so many people that end up in a long-term downward spiral in divorce and can't get this positive traction and make it an amazing life. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and the Rocking Life podcast and the Facebook community. The goal is to be the catalyst that turns your struggles after breakup into a thriving life, to do the climb together and create this life that you deserve, to inspire you, to unlock your inner greatness and live your best life. On the podcast, we share inspiring interviews of people that have already climbed out of this despair and are on the way, not finished, but on their way towards the summit. If you all have any questions, Or maybe you want to say, awesome job on the podcast. I get so many comments. It's so inspiring to hear the listeners' comments. You can send them to rockinglifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also, in the description below, click the link and leave an audio message for me as well. And that's so inspiring to hear your comments. Let's do this climb together. And I truly believe that divorce can be an amazing opportunity for you if you're willing to let go of the past and focus on the now and the future. I also believe that uh, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So this particular divorce can actually be the best thing that ever happened to you. I'm not for divorce, but you can turn it into the best thing. You had an experience
1: of this and you're going to share a little story. Yes. For me, divorce was like, the culmination of a lot of experiences in life. I grew up here in Utah. I was born and raised in the Mormon church. I was a very shy, insecure child. My earliest memories are of people-pleasing. I needed approval. And kids in general, they want their parents' approval for everything. But for me, that just carried on through childhood, through being a teenager, I wasn't shy when I was playing sports. For whatever reason, sports gave me confidence. As long as I was on that court, I didn't feel the eyeballs looking at me. I wanted to win. I was born with a very strong competitive drive to be the best athlete I could be. But the second I got off that court, I wanted to hide. I got anxiety. It was really hard for me. I was that shy. But I also wanted so badly for people to love me that it was this constant battle of shyness, the need for approval. As a teenager, your hormones are raging. You are interested in girls, wanted to have a girlfriend like my friends did, but I was so shy. I never took chances. I was constantly alone, which made me feel lonely. That spiral just grows and grows as we get older, right? We keep beating ourselves up, but I was crippled by fear to do anything about it. So the self destruction mode was just in full circle. Now, looking back, I realized I was depressed. At the time, I didn't know that. I just knew I was unhappy. For many of you who may not know the Mormon religion, it's a very strict religion that is intertwined with every facet of your life. And they have very strict codes that you're supposed to live by. You're not supposed to drink coffee or tea. You're supposed to wear modest clothing. They believe in no sex before marriage, but it's even deeper than that, right? Like for many people in the world, when you're a teenager, you start masturbating. It's just a very normal part of growth. And what we go through as human beings, well, in the Mormon religion, that's a big no, no, you don't do that. Well, Most people do it and lie about it. I was not the exception to that. But the lying about it, feeling guilty about it, I'm being bad. I have people getting up at church telling me I'm bad through experiences that they've had with it. Like it's all these extremes that are just attacking my brain, right? And so it's just getting darker and darker. So instead of figuring me out, my whole goal is I've got to find someone. I need to find that woman, that girl. It's going to be my love of my life. My everything. I was, as I like to call it, I was outsourcing myself, my love. As a lot of Mormons do, I went on a two-year church mission to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And that's where I would meet my future ex-wife. I got home. We wrote letters. So corresponded for several months. I went back, we got engaged, and then we got married in May of 2003. That was like one of the happiest times of my life because I thought, I've arrived. I did it. I found my everything. Life's going to be great now. That's not the case. When you put that pressure on someone to be your everything, that's a lot for any person to handle. And sadness didn't go away. The dark thoughts, the depression, the guilt over things I had done in the past that I wasn't living up to the standards inside the religion. I was still shy and insecure, all that stuff still going on. And as the years went by in the marriage, there were signs that she was starting to crack. That pressure was building on her shoulders and it was getting harder and harder for her to bear. Now, God bless her. She handled that responsibility for 11 and a half years until November of 2014, she finally approached me and asked me for a divorce. I wasn't ready for that. I begged, I pleaded, okay, if I'm the problem, let me fix me. I went to my local church leader that they call a bishop. I went in, confessed my sins. And then I went to a counselor and I was like, okay, I got to fix my brain. If there's something wrong with me, let's do this. I was getting religious counseling. I was getting real counseling. And during 2015, I went to counseling for about nine or 10 months. And it was doing some really amazing things for me. I was able to see things from a completely different perspective. I was starting to understand my behavior in ways that I never had before, but it wasn't enough. The more I became aware of myself, the more it pushed her away. Understandably, it's like, why did it take the threat of a divorce for you to want to work on yourself? Why couldn't you work that on that before? Well, I didn't know. I was so in my head that I couldn't see. We finally entered in the divorce process in 2016. And that's when I began running. Running saved my life. If it wasn't for running, I don't know what I would have done because it was the most stressful, heartbreaking period of my life. I remember when the divorce was final. I was on spring break with my kids in April 2017. And I cried and I cried. And then when I finally moved out in May of that year, I had my kids for that first weekend, I moved out. And then when I took them back to my old house, I remember thinking, I'm 36 years old. I'm living in a basement apartment in my parents' house. I'm a failure. What's my purpose? I'm a loser. I have ruined everything in everyone's lives, my kids, my own, and I lost it. I lost it. The silence in that room was the death of me. And I realize now that was my rock bottom. It was very dark times.
0: I know exactly what it feels like. I went through the same, very similar story. And uh, going through divorce, it can be a a very dark place. And I usually describe it as, uh, I don't feel like I had traction. I I felt like I was in a big fog for probably at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And uh, in the middle of the ocean, in, in a rowing boat, not seeing that I make progress, and when you don't see you making progress, you can become very depressing. Even though I was making progress, I got a counselor, I, I got a coach, I got a mentor. I started taking steps, but I didn't see the progress. Now, looking back five years later, I see all the progress I did make. But when you're in the middle of it, that's what's so difficult. And that's why it's so difficult to do by yourself because you need to have somebody else to share and have a different view A different perspective of the situation and can encourage you and help you and that's why it's so important to have maybe one or two very close friends that you trust have a counselor have a coach have a mentor have people around you to surround you with that wants the best for you and positive impact there will be people that should not be in your life as well these people that drag you down and speak poorly and I'd really love to hear that, that you made this journey. I want to interview people that have made the journey, have the awareness of themselves and can be open and vulnerable and share about this journey. So a question that I have for you is, and I usually say about the divorce, that can be the best thing that's happened in your life, even though you didn't want it to happen. It can be that thing that makes you really and it's usually when you go through really difficult times, that's when you grow. If you're in a sailboat and you have a light breeze, it's pretty easy. You don't have to become creative, but it's when the, the, the winds are blowing really hard and the sails are breaking down and you have to really say, okay, I need to do something here. This is not working. So the question is, what
1: impact did the divorce have on your life? One of the biggest impacts that it's had on my life is how I view relationship. My ex-wife and I, we're very good friends. That's awesome. Um, So we're very good co-parents. We get along really well. And the whole reason why we're able to do that is because we lived in different countries and we had a long distance relationship. Those type of relationships really force you to get to know people. We were writing letters. We would talk on the phone when we could, we developed a friendship first. When I finally hopped on board with the divorce, you know what, you're right. This is what we need to do. She waited almost two years for me to realize that. I remember looking at her and I was just like, before all of this, we were friends and I want to get back to that. I want to get back to being your friend. I miss that. And it's that friendship that we developed first that has helped us through the rocky times of figuring out what divorce life is going to be like for us. But we're able to have that patience with each other to figure things out. I mean, we've gone weeks without talking with each other because we need that space. And then we just let each other parent while we're not talking. And then when we're ready to come back and talk again, we do, but we have that mutual respect. It's one of the things that I love counseling people about. When you get back into dating, when you're out there meeting people, I understand you're an adult. I understand you have adult cravings and you have physical needs and desires that you want to have taken care of. But if you don't want to repeat the same mistakes of the past, it's very important that you learn the art of getting to know people. It's so important to have that foundation of friendship with everyone that you meet. When I've been out dating, I viewed every date as an opportunity to make a new friend. I didn't like putting pressure on people. I think that's damaging when we come into those with expectations of, I wonder, this one's going to be the love of my life. Oh, people can just feel that. No, we're just meeting. Don't put that on me, right? But an even bigger impact than that on a personal level is the divorce forced me to fall in love with myself. It forced me to learn who I was, what I wanted, what I love, what do I want to do with this life, what's important. That's actually one of the questions I had from your
0: last episode on your podcast. It's awesome that we got into that organically. I think a lot of listeners don't even understand what it means to love yourself. What does it actually mean to love yourself? Can you love yourself? What
1: is that? Why is that important? For me, loving myself is self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem, awareness. I am the opposite of a people pleaser now. For Christian people, one of the commandments is love thy neighbor as thyself. I realized I can't love people if I don't love myself first. When we truly are able to love other people, all we're really doing is sharing the love that we found for ourselves with them. Loving myself has allowed me to become in tune with myself. I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of people's intent. What is this person's intent with me? What do they want from me? If that's not what I want from them, I put up safe boundaries. I'm confident. I do not need people to like me. If you like me for who I am, great. If not, I'm not going to lose sleep at night. I'm not going to lose sleep if you tell me why you don't like me. Great. We don't ever have to see each other ever again. That's fine. I'm not meant to be in your life. As human beings, we're wired for companionship, for community. And so we love feeling validated by other people, right? We love feeling accepted. But that can become harmful when that is what you're seeking out. It's like a drug. It becomes an addiction. You need people. We shouldn't have to need anyone in our lives, but we should want them to be in our lives.
0: I dealt with a lot of shame around a few different areas in my life that also created a lot of this trying to please people. But one area was actually the divorce because I grew up in a Christian family. I had my parents were married their whole life until my dad passed away. I tried to project and kind of like have masks up to pretend that me and my wife had a good marriage in church, for example. And I had so much shame about dealing with when my wife didn't want to go to church anymore. And I, I went there by myself with the kids for probably a couple of years. When the divorce did happen, I dealt with a lot of shame about that. I didn't want to go back to the church And I did not want to talk about the divorce with close people. And the way I dealt with it was interesting because about six years ago or five years ago, I became a life coach, started helping people through uh, difficult things. But I'm the one who learned the most about entering into this coaching. But I started to learn how to connect deeply with people. I've always known how to connect with business people But to connect with another man on a more of a not surface level, I had a hard time doing. I didn't know how to be vulnerable and open. And what I did was to learn to connect with people on the airplanes. I traveled extensively back and forth to Europe all the time, uh, every month. And on the flights, I started to initiate contact with other person sitting next to me because I knew I had a long flight. And I initiated contact right away when we sat down. And then I started sharing about the divorce. Just throw out the breadcrumbs and see if they would kind of like when you fish, uh, are they going to take the bait? And then you start diving down into the conversation and it becomes more substance to the the conversation. And many of these conversations became amazing. We talked about all kinds of things, real conversation about life. And I did that for, I still do that. I do that all the time. When I meet new people, I really want to get to know them more than just weather and sports. And right. that helped me overcome this shame about divorce. And I found that out later after reading a book by Brene Brown, talking about shame. And when you have shame, actually wants you to hide what you're ashamed of, that you don't want to share about what you're ashamed of. But when you start sharing about what you're ashamed of, to some trusted people or other people, that shame dissipates. And that's what happened. So I discovered that after reading the book that, okay, that's why the shame dissipated, because I can talk about divorce, no problem at all. I think it's very powerful what you said there about loving yourself and not being in need of people to like or love you. You're okay by yourself. And that's what the, uh, I've also come to that point uh, a few years ago, that one of the biggest things initially after the divorce, I started dating way too early. The day after the divorce papers are signed, pretty much, I, I started dating for about a year, but only to fill this void of being lonely. And a year later, after had been dating for about a year, I just stopped dating for over two years and just took time by myself. And to be okay to be by yourself, for me, that was very important. And uh, if you speak into a little bit more about how did you go from being in need of other people and not loving yourself, what was the progress? Do you have like some tools or steps you
1: took? Were you aware or did somebody else help you? Oh, this is a fun story. I did have people that helped me, but in a lot of ways, it was an experience that I haven't had since. And it was one of the most impactful things that's ever happened in my life. My divorce was also the beginning of my faith transition. I have been out of the Mormon church for two years now, and I've had two girlfriends since divorce. The first girlfriend I had, we dated for four months about. And She taught me this value of being alone. Oh, yeah. She had been divorced for a while. And so she picked up quickly, like, he is not ready, (laughs) right? Like, he's needy still. He is looking to me to be too much, right? So she very kindly broke it off. But she taught me a lesson when she was breaking up with me. She's One of the biggest things I had to learn, Luke, when I got my divorce was I had to learn that the difference between being alone and being lonely. Yeah. That it's okay to be alone. Yeah. And you need to learn to be okay with that. So I took some time. It took four or five months. And I really thought about that. And I was like, all right, let's try this alone thing out. I focused on work. I focused on running. I focused on my kids. And when I was by myself, I did cross training workouts. Like I, watched movies. I did reading. I went back to counseling. So this is in 2018. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's not that bad being by myself. Actually, I have control over my schedule. I can do what I want when I want. This isn't too bad. And then I met my second girlfriend after that. And she is a person who really just loves people for who they are one of the most non-judgmental people I have ever met in my life. And I was able to open up to her about things in my life that I talk about very freely now that I really hadn't talked about before. And she showed me such compassion and kindness and understanding. That really taught me a lesson about love. That love isn't just this romantic love that adults are so obsessed with. We can have loving relationships with adults that can be very platonic, very real, very impactful and important, but it doesn't have to lead to physical connection. Yeah, We do not have to have sex with everyone that we meet, single people out there. But she ended up breaking up with me February of 2019, and that sent me into a spiral. I was really beating myself up over this. The feelings from my divorce were all coming back. I was just struggling so bad with why did another relationship not work out? It was going so well and it ended abruptly, in my opinion. I was reeling from that. Well, in April of 2019, I took my kids down to St. George for spring break. St. George is a city in Southern Utah that- I know exactly where it is. Yeah.
0: I used to live in Utah. I forgot to say that initially. And I used to be a pilot. So I used to fly from Salt Lake City to St. George. It was one of my runs for several months.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, yeah. And for those who haven't been to Utah and don't know, it's like the place Utah's go-to for warmer weather, to get away a little bit. It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Uh There's palm trees there. I was down there with my kids, and she was down there with her kids. And we went on a run, and I lost it around mile four, I just started crying and just started releasing and unleashing all this emotion onto her and bless her heart. She just listened to me, pulled me aside at this elementary school and just gave me a hug. And in that moment, I realized that when she had told me, when we broke up that, that classic line of it's not you, it's me. I realized then that she meant it. That she actually did love me for who I am, but she also loves herself because she loves herself and had met someone else who was more compatible for her. She had enough love to set me free instead of dragging me along and lying to me. So I took that experience. I went home from spring break and about a week after that run, I was sitting home alone on my couch And I had this amazing energy experience, what I describe it as. For the first time in my life, forgave myself for all the mistakes I had made in my life. I reminded myself that I wasn't that same person. But I can't really put it into words to do it justice how when I forgave myself and I meant it, I was just wrapped up in this warm, loving energy. And at the time I couldn't tell if it was coming from within, if it was coming from without, is this God hugging me? Is this something from myself? I don't know. Now I believe it was all coming from within because in that moment at, at 38 years old, it was the first time in my life that I realized that I loved me and who I was. And from that moment on, I can't even describe to you. It's like a light switch. Nothing phases me from other people. Yeah. You can hate me. I don't care. You can love me. Great. Come on my crazy train. It's fun. I have confidence in who I am, what I want to accomplish. I don't compare myself to other people. I enjoy listening to other people's journeys. I love giving advice and helping out where I can. The vulnerability that I was so scared of sharing with people when I was a shy little kid, I give up freely because I have realized that all those people I grew up with, popular kids in high school, the people who looked like they had it all together were actually some of the most scared people. They were just putting on this show, this front to hide their true feelings. And by me sharing my vulnerability has allowed others to share and it's just been an amazing process to see over the past couple of years. And for me, I made the decision right then and there. In order for me to be happy, things in my life that no longer add to my happiness don't have a space in it any longer. And I cut out a lot of things from my life that were not adding to my happiness, but were adding to my despair. Yeah. I think that is very powerful
0: to hear that you had the insight and you're a thinker. Now, did external people help you, friends, therapists, counselors, coaches, mentors in a new way? And in what way did they make an impact?
1: Those two girlfriends I talked about, they gave me those lessons of love, being alone, I would go to my counselor and tell her everything that was going on. And she taught me how to, what do they call it? When you're feeling an emotion, sit with that emotion. Yeah. Right. Talk to it, understand it, feel it, then let it flow through you.
0: You Especially for us guys. I think we have a harder time dealing with emotion, especially when you're thrown into it like a divorce Where, For example, if you have a long-term marriage and you're not an emotional person, you're not kind of like, I wasn't in touch with my emotions going through the marriage. And then suddenly you have all these emotions flowing over and it's like very difficult to deal with if you don't have the help for somebody else that can kind of help you through that.
1: Oh, yeah. I had my group of my running community. Met some amazing people through running. I would vent to when we run. Runners are just a different breed, man. People of different ethnicities, backgrounds, religious views. It doesn't matter. We come together. We love to run. We know we're crazy. And we talk about everything. And having that outlet and people who were just willing to listen was huge for me. I
0: agree 100%. I was actually had a coaching session yesterday with uh, one of my clients, he's gone through a divorce, he's very lonely. And uh, a lot of times you can come up with all kinds of excuses why you don't have friends, why you're lonely. And it's very easy to get stuck in that mentality. It's COVID's fault, it's this fault, uh, why I don't have any friends. You need to take action. I teach a lot about connectedness, how to go from being lonely to having these awesome relationships. So we dove into that. I called him out on his BS about COVID <laughs> being the, the problem and etc. And I said, you're a very creative person. If you want to, you can actually find these connections where you can actually develop these uh, friendships. And he's a runner. And uh, he came up with that himself. I can actually start talking to the people I run with because he he never shared about or talked when he was running. But he's going to start doing that now. He also came up with, I can call a few friends, actually, that I haven't been talking to. And I promised I was going to call them a long time ago. And um, I'm also going to go down to the square and and see if there's, uh, you know, they gather every evening or every Friday, whatever, And to develop these connections is crucial to get out of the loneliness. And you do that by being vulnerable yourself to others. If you just talk about sports and weather, it's a very surface type of relationship. For me, the most important thing going through the divorce and what I learned the most is go from being kind of like a surface type of person and not just pretending a lot in some ways and having masks up but to be becoming me, being transparent and open and, and being able to, to be that with other people. And that's when I started, and it was actually my best friend. We've roomated for a year and a half that in many ways taught me that because he's an extrovert and he shares his feelings. He shares uh, what he feels. And uh, we're super good friends now. We talk every week. We just have an amazing friendship. And uh, to have those type of friends in your life is so awesome. I think it's powerful to hear your story uh, moving through the divorce, all the struggle you went through, all the ups and downs feeling, because everyone in the divorce, especially if it's kids involved, if it's strife involved, and uh, you have issues and stuff you need to deal with, and you really take time, this journey can become the most amazing thing the rest of your life. That's what I truly believe.
1: And to go along with that, one of the most eye-opening things for me has been, we talked about how my ex, I made her my everything. Yeah. So when we do that with people, see, I gave her power over me. She had all this power. And when you give yourself over like that to someone else, well, you're at their mercy. Yeah. And people grow, change, evolve all the time. When we got married, I was 22 and she was 20. Well, when she approached me about divorce, then I was 34 and she was 32. So much life has gone on. So much change has gone on. If that person changes and they realize, yeah, this isn't working for me anymore. I want out. Well, yeah, for the person that made them their everything like I did, that's devastating. So now I refuse to give people power over me. do not have power over me. And something else that I believe that I get mixed reactions to is I don't believe we can be hurt by other people. We hurt ourselves. See, when we get hurt and upset about something not working out the way we wanted to, it's because we have placed expectations on that person.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That person didn't ask for those expectations, right? So when those get broken, then we get all upset like, you didn't do what I wanted you to. Why not? Right? And they're not hurting us. We're hurting ourselves. It's so much about communication
0: too in, in, in any relationship to not have these expectations and a lot of times you make them up yourself it's so crucial to communicate about expectations like for example in a romantic relationship to have the right expectations and and also set boundaries you were in there for it a little bit about boundaries but to have boundaries that creates respect and i've mentioned this book boundaries so many times if you're in a relationship or not in a relationship you should read the, the book boundaries and learn about boundaries because a person without boundaries is not going to have respect from other people it's going to be it's like boundaries for example you might have people around you that are toxic and they call you things that are not okay they call you words that are not okay and that's hurting and then you just set up the boundary says if this happens again i'm not going to be able to continue being your friend anymore Or if you step over the boundary, it needs to be a consequence. And that consequence is set before this overstep is done. So the consequence is triggered by overstepping the boundary. And when you start establishing boundaries, especially with people where there is strife and difficulty, but you need to have boundaries with everybody. That's what creates a lot of the respect in the relationship where you Are actually if your friend says please don't ever do this again because this hurts me and if he respects that okay I'm not ever gonna do that again then that creates this amazing respect that oh he actually values me because he hurt me or she hurt me but by me saying okay I'm not gonna do that again because he hurts you that creates that respect And it's very powerful. So I don't know what your experience is with boundaries. Did you have boundaries in your marriage? No, I had zero boundaries.
1: Like she was my everything. I had zero
0: boundaries too in my marriage.
1: Yeah, I was completely codependent on her for everything, for my happiness, for just my sense of worth. She was it. Now there are boundaries and I set those boundaries for myself.
0: We're going to go and round this podcast off here in a little bit. And I just had a couple of questions before we round off. First of all, you have a podcast. And uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about the podcast? How can they find the podcast? And uh, why did you start it?
1: It's called Inspiring Naked Souls. And it's done with one of my very best friends in this world. Her name is Amber. Amber and I met in May of 2019. And we just became such good friends so quickly. And we developed that very platonic love that I talked about. She's one of the people I love most dearly in this world, but it's never been romantic and yeah. both of us are completely fine with that. Yeah. And so we would have deep discussions like this. And so we're like, other people would like listening to us talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do a podcast. Okay. She's, can you figure that out? I'm like, sure. (laughs) So I talked to my brother who had done a running podcast and figured it out. And we started in September of 2019. And we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about divorce. We talk about the single life, dating nowadays. We talk about being single parents, self-esteem. It's a myriad of topics. Our upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about narcissism and gaslighting.
0: Interesting.
1: I think it's more prevalent than people realize. And a lot of people don't realize that they're doing it. It's just how they've been taught and raised. And so I've been feeling a really big need to bring awareness to these topics so that people can recognize it quicker and have better communication. It's a lot
0: of mental illness in society, and it's probably not getting better with COVID, etc. There's also a lot of uh, stigma around mental illness that people don't want to talk about it. And I think it's important to talk about it. Same thing with divorce. There's so much stigma around divorce. We need to talk more about it to bring awareness. For us, when we went through divorce, a lot of friends said they just scurried away because we had a Difficult divorce, and people don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with it, how to help people in divorce either.
1: I don't understand why it still has such a big taboo and stigma surrounding it. There's a comedian named Daniel Sloss that I absolutely love. And in one of his episodes, he gives some statistics about how ninety 55% of marriages end in divorce. Yeah. And then he gives an even more surprising statistic. 90% of all relationships that are begun before the age of 30 end. So it's, we've been force fed this fairy tale of you get married and life happily ever after. But that's just not the case. Marriage is not a binding contract, it's not handcuffing you and enslaving you to a life forever if you one day choose to not have that life anymore. Yeah. People come into each other's lives for different reasons. You were meant to be with that person for this amount of time to learn those lessons and grow. And then if you both truly love each other, you will both recognize what we've outgrown this relationship and it is time to move on. That's why divorce can be such a healthy act of love because you wouldn't want to drag someone around and force them to do something against their will. Just like you, most people don't go around raping people because that's not fun. Why do you want to force someone to do something they don't want? Well, why do so many marriages stay trapped and force people to do something that they don't want to do anymore? Just because you're scared of being alone, just because you're scared of, of what's to come next. As you and I both know, yes, the unknown is scary at first. But once you walk through that door and you see the amount of light that is available in the unknown, you wonder why you allowed yourself to stay unhappy so long in the first place.
0: Yeah. For me, it was, I I wanted the marriage to work. That was definitely my goal, but it was so much strife towards the end. And I still believe in marriage, but I know there there's definitely drawbacks with marriage that Especially if you go into it in the wrong way, trying to find somebody that is going to, like you shared before, help you feel loved. And also, if you stop like fertilizing the marriage afterwards, you get married. A lot of times, prior to the marriage, if it's two or three years, you spend a lot of times, kind of like uh, putting in all these fertilizer into the marriage or the relationship and making it an amazing friendship. But then if you using the marriage as, like you said, handcuffs, now you have her or him locked in and you don't do these little things that fertilize a marriage, it's definitely going to be a downward spiral. I also believe that if, if people that are listening are in a difficult position in a relationship, I definitely believe that can be turned around. And a lot of times you can turn it around yourself. If you fix you and stop fixing the other person, you can actually make a tremendous impact on that relationship. But stop
1: trying to fix the other person. Yeah, exactly. Because if you fix yourself, right, then you stop using your title to get your spouse to do something. Well, I'm your husband, so you're supposed to do this for me. And nowadays, it's been romanticized. And we're trying to make it something different like he's getting a,
0: I also think in marriage there's a lot of components are very important in a relationship like commitment and being trusted and being by one person and not going around and having affairs with other people there's a lot to when it comes to marriage that comes with marriage when you make that commitment until death do you part because i want a relationship I'm looking for a rest of my life friendship, the friend Mm -hmm. that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And I might get sick or she might get sick and I want us to be there for each other no matter what the rest of my life. That's the person I want, that cares for each other, that really is that best friend that would take a bullet for you. And that's the type of relationship I think you can have, but you can't start treating it as... You're handcuffing that person into this relationship. It has to be this awesome friendship, deep friendship, vulnerable, open, committed relationship. The key when it comes to a successful relationship, I think, is to have a commitment between each other. And I think the marriage fulfills part of that. And that marriage from the beginning is a religious ceremony, yes. And I'm a Christian. I believe in the marriage as part of the Christianity. But I I definitely Mm -hmm. see drawbacks with it if you don't treat it correctly.
1: Exactly. uh, Right. No, for sure. Love
0: is not a feeling. A lot of people uh, think, okay, love is this passion that you feel the first time you meet somebody in the first few months or a year. But that is not love. Love is uh, a decision. It is to be true. and, And being in that relationship, no matter what, and working things out because it's going to be ups and downs. You're going to have conflict. To have an initial relationship with no conflict, uh, Gottman said if you have an initial relationship the first few months or a first year without any conflict, you're guaranteed to have a lot more conflict in your relationship or marriage in the future. You need Mm -hmm. to have this conflict and learn how to deal with it because you're going to have conflict. If you have a listener right now and they are he or she, is in the middle of the divorce, in a very lonely, depressed state, maybe similar as you were. If you just in one or two minutes can just say, This would be my, what I would do, or what would the initial steps be? What, if they're just, they don't have any traction at all right now, what would you say?
1: I would want them to know, I know everything feels dark. I know that it feels your world is collapsing. What's going on? You're spiraling. You can't see the light. What I want you to understand is you're being given a gift. This is your second chance. This is your opportunity to fall in love with you. Taking the time to heal. Don't go out there and date yourself. Get to know what it really is that you like. What do you want to do with your life? Are you happy with your job? Do you want to go back to school? You have so many opportunities now to change the course of your life and put yourself in a position to where you truly love and understand who you are. And by doing that, you will be able to attract the right people into your life to continue your progression. You will then attract a person who is – Best for you, if that's what you're looking for, when you're ready, that person will be attracted into your life and you'll be able to take the lessons that you learned from your first marriage and apply it to this long term relationship. When you do that, you will rediscover a gratitude and a love for your ex spouse for all those lessons that you learned. You'll be able to release that and you'll be able to be happy. I know it's sad. I know it's hard. But this experience can lead you to happiness that you never knew existed. Because you will actually be able to love you.
0: That is an awesome ending, Luke. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I can see that you've done the journey. You have the passion inside of you. And that's what I hear over and over again listeners say. It's so powerful to hear other people's journeys, because in that dark place, when you can't see the light on the end of the tunnel, to hear somebody that's already moved through it is encouraging, brings belief that they can also do it. And uh, that's really what this podcast is all about, to bring this hope for people, to bring them along the journey. And, And that is a goal, to help people do this climb. It's called Rocking Life podcast for a reason. I started rock climbing about a year ago with my kids, four kids, and they all love it. And it's so much like this journey, life journey, divorce journey, whatever journey you're on, rock climbing, you have these easy paths, but then you have these really difficult paths. And in rock climbing, you would not climb Mount Everest without a guide. That would be really unwise. So to get the guide, for example, having a close friend that you trust, to speak into your life, or at least listen to your hearts. It's important to have a counselor that you can talk to, like Luke shared. It's so crucial to have that. Probably more important for a guy than a woman, because we don't know how to deal with these emotions. Having a coach, I'm a coach myself. I coach primarily men through divorce, through midlife transition, and uh, having a mentor, somebody that's already done this journey. I'm a mentor as well, because... I have done the journey. I'm on the journey myself, but I'm a few steps ahead of somebody that's just in the middle of the divorce, five, six years ahead. And right now, I'm in the best place in my life. I've never been happier. And it is, like Luke said, an opportunity. It can be a catalyst to turn this life into this amazing place. So I just want to encourage you all to... uh, start taking this journey and uh, we'd love to inspire you to help you on this climb and please uh, send your questions in to gmail.com and in the description below you can leave an audio message as well and i will also leave a link to luke's podcast in the description below so go in and visit luke's podcast as
1: well thank you so much for being on the podcast luke it's been a pleasure Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to have you on Inspiring Naked Souls. I will. You take care. Thanks.